0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of our Rethink Wireless Podcasts, where our analysts here at Rethink Technology Research wireless communications, arm talk about the week's wireless news, available through our Wireless Watch weekly analysis publication. I am Luke Brown, an analyst, and I'm here today with Caroline Gabriel.
1: Hi, uh, yes, Caroline Gabriel, I'm the Research Director at uh, Rethink Research.
0: And uh, Phil Hunter.
2: Hello, I am a uh, research fellow
0: who both head up our uh, analyst department on the wireless side. Qualcomm was featured in a couple of articles this week and we thought we would just have a bit of a chat about some of its adventures in today's session. For one story, Caroline reported on Qualcomm's Open run play with a new suit of uh, Open Run products. Phil took a look at another development with Qualcomm, this time about their involvement with the automotive industry. Let's just start with you, Phil. Why is Qualcomm in the news this week with relation to the automotive sector?
2: I think um, it would be true to say not so much that with Qualcomm was in the news, but trying to sort of make the news. It wasn't making any particular announcement, but it, was, it wants to draw attention to how important the automotive sector has become for it. And um <laughs> to boast a little bit about how well the company appears to be doing. So it, it was saying that its um, pipeline for design contracts, you know, that's sort of really the, it's sort of all the book in a sense, so it has has shot up from 19 billion to 30 billion over just two months. And um, in the week's wireless watch, I did point out that that was perhaps largely because of two particularly big deals, one with Mercedes-Benz, but nonetheless, it, they, they, they are quite rightly saying that there is um, a big Increase in demand for automotive chips. That's really essentially, it's Qualcomm sort of talking up the market, talking up the importance of automotive connectivity, and then and then coming on to some of the sort of details that are driving that, such as the big increase in electric vehicles. Why why
0: is there kind of that rise in chip importance for automotives?
2: There's been rising demand for automotive chips right across the board for a long time now. You know, I mean, more and more cars are getting connected, and more and more of the functions in the cars, and not just connectivity, are relying on um, semiconductors. I mean, Qualcomm isn't involved in all of that, but some are on the connectivity side. And um, there's been a big increase in demand in the Chinese market. And um, there's also the, another big factor is the growing number of electric vehicles. I think mean, it's now about... 7.4 million electric vehicles on the road and that number is rising fast and it's proportion that's rising fast and they require roughly double the number of semiconductors as a normal car because a lot of it is to do with the efficiency driving the efficiencies of um, power consumption and being able to turn power down whenever it's not needed it's all semiconductor driven a lot of those functions as well as attraction the gearing so on so that's and that's really another factor
0: i mean we could we could discuss the chinese market now um how how important is qualcomm there what's their kind of footprints
2: well i mean at the moment we could sort of just go back and point out that there was there's been a sort of big global shortage in semiconductors for the automotive market in particular, which which has been quite well publicized, and that affected Chinese car makers as much as anyone else. But um, China has been gearing up its own indigenous car production a lot, and they still rely very heavily on Qualcomm chips, and particularly for their, as we've just pointed out, their electric vehicle EV makers. Such as Li Auto is one. I think Geely is another, and they've both just recently upgraded EV models, and they've sort of drawn attention actually to the their reliance on Qualcomm in a funny way for their smart cockpits. And they mentioned um, one of the Snapdragon chips, um, the SA8155P, I think, and part of this, and that's part of Qualcomm's seven-nanometer process range of semiconductors specifically for the automotive sector, and it's the company's most advanced and and those are being heavily required by China, and they haven't really managed to sort of um, move to indigenous suppliers for the top-end chips in particular, I would say. So Qualcomm is is very important for the Chinese automotive market. When you say that kind
0: of, that, I mean, 7 nanometer, that's quite a... I mean, that's quite low on the kind of capabilities or quite high, I should say, the capabilities is quite low on the kind of transistor size.
2: Yes, yes, it is. Um, are
0: these, what kind of quality chips are these? What What's the, how do these compare to other chips maybe?
2: Well, they're not, they're not quite at the very cutting edge. I mean, they're sort of um at five nanometers and coming down to three and even two in the pipeline. And that's <clears throat> as far, that, that's probably, I mean, I mean, I remember some time ago, thinking that five nanometers was about as low as it would get, and you're getting t- towards a point in which quantum effects make it sort of difficult to get much lower. So I don't. I think we are sort of getting close to the end of the road there, and I think um, that's why, of course, quantum computing, as you know, is sort of um, beginning to figure increasingly in Qualcomm's plans, which is something that we could <laughs> talk about a lot of <laughs> time. <Yes>. Maybe, <yeah>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but So, 7 nanometers is low, but it's not at the very cutting ed- edge yet. It is where some of the top-end smartphone chips are, right? in iPhones and Samsung models and so on. So, um, I think that's the...
0: If we say there's a bit of a dependence there on in the Chinese market on Qualcomm chips, um how i mean wouldn't wouldn't that problem be replicated in other
2: sectors in the handheld maybe uh yes i think it would and i i i yeah i I mean we were talking about automotive here but i mean the same applies to a lot of sectors i mean um when we were going to come on to discuss qualcomm's overall status in the market and um i think um the story might be that because I, I think you were going to uh, ask something about qualcomm's status in the industry. yeah the, yeah how, how does it weight w- waiting <clears throat> and um <laughs> i think the answer is it it isn't you know if you look at their m- most recent results um which are q3 in the third quarter 2022 they were up 37 percent year on year from 8 billion to 10.9 billion so that doesn't, uh, that doesn't suggest that it's a company sort of <laughs> whose influence is waiting, but I think they're certainly coming under growing pressure in, and there's a certain amount of saturation in the perhaps um, top end smartphone area. So that's one reason why automotive is important to them. And of course, the whole IoT Internet of things arena is also one where, um, which is fast growing so if you look at most projections over the next few years qualcomm's fastest growth will occur outside its sort of absolute mainstream smartphone sector and also other sort of direct cell phone connectivity tablets and so on and laptops
0: if there is a widespread industry dependence in the automotive um, on qualcomm qualcomm is still heavily involved in handhelds um chips but I understand that's changing a bit. Yeah, is, is that kind of a, a process or a development that we will also see spreading to the automotive?
2: Uh, yes, possibly. I mean, um, I mean, I mean, in, in the automotive sector, there, there are some unique features of the, I mean, one of them is sort of the growing need for local communication between roadside infrastructure other vehicles and even systems that might that pedestrians might hold and um, that communication isn't of, um, facilitated particularly effectively by this sort of public cellular network and that's why we have this sort of um, side link communication which is a sort of parallel aspect of communication within the cellular V2X that's vehicle to everything. Um, architecture, and that requires chips that are uh, different from what you would put in handholds, and and, and where Qualcomm is indeed one of the leaders in the field. Is there any risk of
0: people coming coming and saying, okay, we'll just make our own chips now, we we don't need this dependence, especially considering everyone knows that there'll be a, a chip demand, especially for that V2X for those kind of use cases?
2: Yes, I mean, We haven't seen too much of that. I mean, I think even the larger automotive companies don't really want to be getting into silicon just yet. But we have seen some internet connectivity in vehicles has been sort of provided in partnership with mobile operators, and that's led to some Manufacturers, especially in Europe, where cross-border driving is sort of more more common, so sort of becoming concerned um, over over dependence on operators and, and the SIM cards that they provide. That's leading towards growing interest in embedded SIMs and perhaps even ultimately integrated SIMs, really more embedded SIMs in vehicles. we've seen Mercedes part by in France to sort of. Um, develop an eSIM capability in their future vehicles, for example, which they think would give them more control over the connectivity in their vehicles. And I, I think, I think that's definitely a trend that we're going to be seeing other major automotive manufacturers or OEMs, if you like, sort of um, moving in that direction. We,
0: I think in the article, you also touched on, was it Infineon and ST Microelectronics? And their work on on card chips. How would you kind of rate that in the context, or how would you, how do you think that's kind of fits into
2: the, the picture? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean there's um, a huge number of opportunities in um, the automotive sector for various chip makers. I mean, I mean, I mean, the chip industry is sort of vertically integrated, where you've got the sort of um, fabricators, where TSMC and Samsung. Dominant. You've got the platforms like ARM, and then you've got, and then you've got this sort of silicon design people like Qualcomm. Of course, STMicro and um, coming to that category, growing in the automotive sector. You've, you've got the likes of Intel, which um, play in some way, in some <laughs> way across <laughs> all the sectors. So they're getting a little bit into the into the fabs that uh, they sort of design, and they also have a, They also compete on the platform level. But anyway. That's another matter. I think you will see the automotive sector becoming increasingly um, targeted by a number of companies that perhaps haven't been sort of noted for their presence there before. Well, okay, it seems like that's going to be an interesting development. Well, one which we'll be following in Wireless Watch over the exactly, coming yeah. months. And years. Yeah. <laughs> so if
0: you want to find out more about that, <laughs> come back <laughs> next week. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you, Phil, for for those insights. Um, if we move now on to you, Caroline, you also wrote, like everyone else, a piece on Qualcomm this week. What happened there this week? What what kind of what was the announcement that you wrote about?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Qualcomm announced that it started sampling um, two quite important new chips, uh, which are its X one hundred. 5G RAN accelerator card and its QRU100 5G RAN platform. Um, these are significant in quite a few ways, both for Qualcomm and for the, uh, the, the mobile industry. They were originally announced a couple of years ago, um, but now they're reaching sampling, uh, more or less on schedule, uh, which is um, quite a major achievement with a, a brand new chip. This chip's been built from scratch, unlike some uh, chips that can be kind of um, adaptations of previous products. So so getting it to sample in, uh, on schedule is, is a very good sign for um, all stakeholders who are supporting Open RAN. Because really, Qualcomm is bringing um, a, a platform that uh, it hopes will um, make it easier, more robust, to deploy um, Open RAN in a, in a macro cell environment. So Qualcomm itself, is, this is quite notable. Um, Qualcomm, it, it, their core business is in chips for mobile devices, smartphones um and as we just heard there they've expanded their business considerably as the smartphone market growth has slowed into areas like auto um, and, and many others but they have not um, been in network infrastructure in any significant way since um, the end of the last century when they sold their their base station chip assets to, to ericsson um, they do make small cell chips but that's been a, a fairly minor part of their portfolio um, we think these Open RAN chips, which are targeted at all sizes of base station, um, right, right up to the big macro cells, will be a much more sort of ambitious attempt by Qualcomm to get back into the mobile infrastructure and um, 5G market. So it, it's important for them, um, but it's also important for, for Open RAN. One of the, the big challenges in Open RAN is having chips that can actually support the extremely demanding um, functions and processes that get take that take place um, in a 5g macro ram um, particularly at the lower layers um, of the network functions or we call um layers one and two and when those layer one functions that's the physical layer of the network um, when those are virtualized as they can be within an open ran or or at least some of them can be um This causes an enormous processing load, um, which is, with current technology, really impossible to support uh, using uh, standard central processing units, such as an Intel x86, for instance. Um, These uh, these tasks have to be um, offloaded onto a much more specialized chip, an accelerator chip, Um, and various companies are trying to to make these accelerators. The importance of Qualcomm producing them is that this is a, an enormous company with huge um, ability to move the mobile ecosystem. Um, it, has, it has strong uh, connections throughout the, um, the, the 5G industry. Um, and also, unlike some of the more specialized chip makers, it has the sort of luxury of, of time. Um, if this chip takes a while to, to perform optimally, which it may well do, even though it's now sampling, Um, Qualcomm's business will will survive that hiatus. So we believe it's putting a lot of time and effort into making a a robust platform that can support the more demanding um, open RAN base stations, which date um, have largely not really been commercially viable unless they're running on proprietary uh, silicon that that comes from the vendors.
0: Some of these computationally intensive um, tasks, what, what can we imagine here? Would this be more in the... What direction would this would this go into for Open run?
1: Yes, we're looking at tasks, um, as I say, in the physical layer. There are various um, architectures for a virtualized RAN where you, you can split the functions uh, between a radio unit, which is a physical appliance um, that runs on specialised silicon, and Qualcomm is making chips for that as well. Um, but you can also run some of them mm. in virtual mode on... Uh, an element called a distributed unit, which in theory, as I said, could run on, on off-the-shelf silicon, but really needs significant um, acceleration. The sort of, in the open RAN o, um, architecture as defined by the O-RAN Alliance, the physical layer functions are split. Um, some of them are still on the radio unit and some are on the distributed unit. But even the ones that are on the distributed unit um, are extremely uh, computationally intensive. And, Good examples would be um, beamforming. If you're using high frequency spectrum, or even mid-range spectrum, like three and a half gig, um, and particularly if you're used with large antenna arrays, um, then there is a vast amount of computation, and you know, up to 50 times more than you had in a typical uh, 4G network. Um, so clearly, uh, if you wanted to do that. Uh, purely on standard processes you, you basically need a supercomputer at your cell site which is not very efficient in either cost or power. Could we maybe
0: talk about the importance of this kind of massive MIMO capability for Open RAN is, is that something that's held the industry back in recent uh, years maybe?
1: Yeah I mean this is critical to whether OpenRAN will be sort of commercially deployable in high-end macro cells. So we're not talking small cell networks here, um, you know, there are lots of good platforms for OpenRAN, Qualcomm has one, but there are plenty of others. Um, and, and it's, it, it's look increasingly looking like a viable technology there. But um, in the big macro networks, the, the big sticking point is the beam forming and the high orders of MIMO in antennas. And quite a few companies are trying to address this this, uh, this issue. So, uh, as we said, massive MIMO is um, it creates an enormous amount of processing load, and probably three or four years ago, we'd have expected massive MIMO to be adopted far more slowly than it has been. So, it seemed to be a technology that was interesting, but was um, a problem that could be solved relatively slowly over a period of years, except in just a few countries that have been very advanced with it, like for instance, Japan. In fact, once operators got their 5G spectrum, they have adopted reasonably high orders of MIMO, um, moving up to massive, and, and we define massive as being anything from 16 t 16R architectures and up. Uh, I mean, you can get up to 128, though I, I think only a couple of Japanese operators are really doing that. But, but the, the point is that massive MIMO has been adopted far more quickly than certainly we expected, I think any, anyone else expected, um, in most regions of the world, wherever um, uh, companies are using the mid-band spectrum, such as three and a half gig. Um, in effect, Massive MIMO allows you to get the same coverage in three and a half that you would have got in some of the 2.1 or 2.5 gig uh, spectrums that were used for 4G. That saves a lot of money because operators can continue to use the same site grid that they had for 4G, and the Massive MIMO extends the coverage as well as um, supporting a huge amount of capacity Um, and in where operators want to use even higher frequency spectrum, um, it's virtually essential at that point. So massive MIMO is essential really to most operators' plans to deploy a 5G macro network in the next four or five years. The danger for OpenRAN is if that OpenRAN can't support massive MIMO effectively because it doesn't have um, sufficiently powerful chips to go into these distributed units, then OpenRAN is, is in effect excluded from the high-end macro networks. And those are the really lucrative strategic networks. These are the ones that will uh, make make the vendors fortune. And certainly are the ones where where the operators are seeking to broaden their supply chain. So if they can't get a massive MIMO network from um, a new supplier, then they're pretty limited in how far they uh, they can extend their supply chain beyond their traditional vendors, which is one of their you know their key objectives. Um, I mean, it's important to say Qualcomm is not the only company doing this. I mean, there are companies like Marvell, for instance, which has um, quite a, a strong base station acceleration platform. Intel itself has got acceleration to put around its its uh, central processes. There are um, there are several other examples. NXP has a um, has a solution. The difference with Qualcomm, well, there are two. One, as we said, is just it's. Enormous mobile ecosystem. Most of these companies are coming from outside the mobile network business, um, so they don't have quite the same connections, the same influence over the structure of the market. Um, but also, Qualcomm is at heart um, a modem um, uh, maker. It it's, it's an enorm- has enormous technical expertise in baseband technology and integrating that with, with RF technology. So um, it's not just coming up with an accelerator for a distributed unit processor, it's got a whole uh, a whole suite and an integrated system on chip that includes all the RF and the modem as well. So it's really coming from a different position to a lot of the other companies. It's coming from its position of strength in uh, in, in RF and radio technology. Um, and pushing out into these, these accelerators. So the chips that it has, um, they can work in radio units, uh, in virtualized distributed units, and also in um, uh, a sort of com- combination of, of those where you put both those units into a single box.
0: Um, if, if you say they're coming from a position of strength and now they're kind of expanding into this accelerator space, who, who, who can they expect to encounter in this space? how do they plan to, to coexist with other uh, companies, for gaps, such as Intel?
1: Yes, I mean, they're very clear that they don't want to go head-to-head with Intel, where Intel is strong. Um, Intel's strength is in processors. Uh, you know, Intel, as I said, has expanded its range. It now has acceleration um, and the sort of whole 5G platform, but, but its strength is in processors, and it's, uh, it has a huge market lead in early virtualized RAM, because it um, very early created a reference architecture called FlexRAN, which has virtually had a monopoly until quite recently. So Intel is in a strong position as long as the base station can run most of its functions well on on a high-end processor like a a big Xeon. Qualcomm also, um, a few years ago, um, got into the processor business, but um, but backed away from it. It did not succeed in that business, and I think for now, at least, it's accepted that that's not its strength. There's no point going up against Intel, Marvell, the big processor makers in in their heartland. So what Qualcomm is doing is starting, as you say, in, in the area where it has differentiated strengths. Um, So I think in terms of Intel, it will be very happy for Intel or the other processor makers to provide the platforms for the virtualized RAN or the open RAN where they don't need all this um, very, very high levels of acceleration, uh, real-time response. So the higher layers of the network, um, layers three and up, those processes are, are not, nearly as demanding, they they can certainly sit on um, a server based on off the shelf processing. It doesn't really hurt Qualcomm if those come from Intel or, or anybody else. Um, what Qualcomm I think strategically is doing with Intel is trying to keep them away from uh, the, the distributed unit, away from acceleration, away from the radio units. These are the really high performance, high value parts of the of the RAM. Um, and th- these are areas where it will be far more difficult for um a merchant chip company to take on the the chips that are made by the the ran vendors and you know have to remember that nearly all processing in base stations currently uh, of any architecture is done on chips that are designed by ericsson um, nokia Huawei and so on um, and Qualcomm probably has the best shot among the merchant chip makers of challenging the performance of say an ericsson silicon um, platform which is very very optimized for what it does, it's designed particularly for the RAM. So Qualcomm has a double challenge. One is to convince um, the, the big vendors that its chips could be a better choice than what they've developed in-house. And the other is to try and confine Intel to its uh, to its servers, to the areas where it does well, and not let it move um, into providing the entire RAM platform.
0: In, in that kind of efforts, um... To, to kind of carve out their own space there, safe from Intel and, and who else, whatnot. Are they? Who else are they um, working with you? Because I imagine that can't be a one-company job, I guess.
1: um The platform is a one-company job. I mean, Qualcomm is is a very, very big company and spends a very large percentage of its um, its revenue on on R and D. Makes a lot of money from licensing the, the patents that come from that. So. Um, but you're right, Qualcomm to succeed in this market needs to work within an ecosystem. It needs to obviously persuade um, base station makers uh, to, to trial its chips. At the minute, a lot of that's being driven by the operators and, and early um, operators who are doing early trials of open RAN are getting quite actively involved in uh, wanting to trial certain chip um, chip architectures. But once the market moves to commercial scale the operators will generally get a lot less interested in uh, which proceeds are in the products you know providing that the products are working for them um so by then they will need to have um really signed up uh, deals with some of the, the big equipment makers that are supporting open ran and too early to see how that will go at scale as it's, it's a big step from trials to um to big contracts of course um i think the important uh, partnership for Qualcomm at the minute um, is with Vodafone. Qualcomm isn't naturally a partnership company. I mean, it's a company that excels in, in developing its own um, technology and building an ecosystem around itself. But it is, does seem to recognize that in Open RAN, you know, part of the attraction for operators is that there is a broader innovation base. Um, so uh, Vodafone and Qualcomm have a joint venture to develop Open RAN chips. Um, they're basically based around the technology that Qualcomm's commercializing here. Um, But they're specifically um, sort of tailored for various projects that Vodafone has running in its R&D labs. Um, And Vodafone has has got a lot of chip partners and is trying to build a very open um, chip reference architecture for Open RAN. Something that there's a fear among some operators that there may be a very open platform for the base stations, as in lots of vendors providing the hardware and the software for the distributed units and the central units and the radio units but that underneath all this there could be only one or two chip makers which which gives another point of, of lock-in so Vodafone is really pushing a sort of um, open chip platform but significantly it, it's chose as its primary partner in that effort um, not Intel but Qualcomm um, so that's given Qualcomm a, a great deal of um, sort of credibility in the open round market and also access to um, to really quite a, a big uh, initiative that Vodafone has running in its labs in Spain.
0: So are Vodafone keen to share that, um, or these kind of insights and this collaboration, are they keen to share that with the rest of the ecosystem?
1: Yes, the idea is is to drive a, um, an open platform that would be adopted by, um, you know, in, in Vodafone's dream, everybody. Um, in the industry, and uh, and obviously there are other efforts to do similar things, but the Vodafone one is the um, is probably the most specifically focused on on the chip layer, um, and also it's it's the one that has uh, Qualcomm rather than Intel at its heart. Intel has quite a lot of open RAN related alliances of its own, um, but, uh, uh, but but this is the big one for Qualcomm.
0: Um, you also mentioned Mavenir as a partner for Qualcomm. What happened
1: here? Yes, Mavenir is one of the the vendors that is um, that is trialing um, using the the Qualcomm platform, I and mean, would be a good example of a sort of target customer for Qualcomm earlier early on. Um, Mavenir is, you know, one of the challenger vendors. It's it's trying to um, it's trying to really uh, get a credible offering for the macro cell, um, for the massive MIMO. They've done some development um, in house, and they're working with various radio partners to uh, to try and get to that. But but it's it's an enormous step for um, a, a relatively small company to be able to uh, develop a platform that can compete with what's developed by uh, by the big vendors. And that's not just Ericsson, Nokia, Huawei, it's companies like NEC, which is relatively small in the global RAND market, but has decades of extremely high end experience in, um, in radio. Um, so uh, so their massive MIMO units are, are looking very, very credible. So um, partnerships for a company like Mavoneer are very important that they can, and this is, you know, Qualcomm's or the aim of any merchant chip maker is, is to make it quicker and easier for a company like Mavoneer to develop a fully-fledged um, macro uh, uh, macro RAN offering without having to develop and, and optimize the silicon themselves as a vendor would have done. So um, Mavin is probably the the challenger that's the most ambitious about getting into the macro network quite quickly and is putting a lot of resource that way. So I think the the cool partnership will be very important to Mavenia. Yeah? I doubt if it will be very important to Qualcomm in volume terms, at least not for, for some years. But um, but it will be a very very useful partnership. Very um, important trials and developments that will help Qualcomm um, put its technology through its bases and you know make sure it's it's running optimally.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much for your wisdom on this piece as well. Well, I actually, want to thank both of you again for sharing uh, your knowledge on qualcomm today i'd also like to thank everyone else for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode of the wireless watch podcast and of course we will hope that you will join us again next week thank you and uh, it's bye bye from me
1: thank you very much and thanks Lee.
2: and thank you for me